VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. Friends, we thank you for joining us on Crosstalk today for a very important topic. I hope your understanding of uh, the times in which we live and what's happening around this world. You see, from COVID to civilian surveillance, to censorship, to citizen crackdown, to climate polluter, communist China is egregiously guilty. Yet it seems to get a pass on every front, not just a pass, but actually accolades, accolades from those that are pushing for world government and China having a a growing influence in that world uh, governance uh, to take place. And it doesn't just stop there. How long before we see an invasion of troops occurring into Taiwan? How long will China be allowed to abuse technology for purposes of control? How large will China's nuclear arsenal be allowed to expand without response? Well, China does have a growing threat to our nation and to the world. With discussion on the topic, we welcome back Alex Newman. Alex, an international freelance journalist, author, researcher, educator, and consultant, senior editor for The New American, and uh, contributes to other publications. He's a founder of Liberty Sentinel. And uh, Alex, thank you for joining us here on Crosstalk. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. So we've got a multiple prong uh, front here that we want to discuss, Alex. And uh, let's begin with uh, what's happening with China. In uh, you, you just were covering COP27, and uh, we dealt significantly with those issues that were going on uh, at that time coming out of the conference. But we're con- just continuously being barraged with information of what we're told is the existential threat of our time, global climate change. And yet the kingpin polluter is China. How huge is their violation, and why do they seem to get a pass on this? Yeah, I think, honestly, what's going on with communist China shows more clearly than maybe any other single piece of evidence that the ringleaders of the climate change movement, the advocates of uh, basically locking down the world to save the climate from human CO2 emissions, don't believe this narrative themselves. Uh, it tells you that something much more sinister is going on here. Uh, and and I, I first started drawing attention to this in 2015. I was at the UN Climate Summit in Paris. And in fact, we had uh, something of a little confrontation with the Chinese communists. We went and asked them for an interview. And uh, they asked us for our business card, which we gave them. And instead of uh, coming to give us an interview or giving us some comment, they sent one of their spies after us to photograph us with a uh, a camera, being very obvious and very deliberate. But uh, what happened at this Paris Agreement, I think, uh, is incredibly significant. You had uh, the Obama administration and many other Western governments coming to the table and saying, look, as part of this Paris Agreement, we are going to drastically slash our CO2 emissions. Uh, Obama promised to cut CO2 emissions in the United States by about 30% by 2025. Uh, and he had been speaking publicly. He said, you know, I, I've got the video of him saying, under my policies, energy prices will necessarily skyrocket. And he wasn't lying. <laughs> he was telling right. the truth. Under the policies that he uh, started implementing, even before the Paris Agreement, but especially afterwards with renewed vigor, energy prices skyrocketed. And um, our energy infrastructure, of course, uh, was hobbled. Uh, Prices of everything went up as a result of this. Uh, Meanwhile, communist Chinese leaders came to the table and they said, yeah, we'll promise that maybe by the year 2030 we'll start reducing our CO2 emissions. But between now and then, they're going to keep going up. Uh, We're going to keep building more coal-fired power plants. And uh, basically, we're just going to keep increasing our CO2 emissions. Now, today, communist China puts out about 300% more CO2 than the United States. Okay, so if the people who are running this operation truly believed that CO2 was bad, that it was dangerous, that it was pollution, the last thing in the world that they would want to do is shut down American manufacturing, shut down American business, and ship all of that production over to communist China, where it's going to result in drastically more CO2 in the atmosphere. And yet that's exactly what they're doing, and they're congratulating themselves for it. They're acting like this is a big celebration. All it's going to do is put more CO2 in the atmosphere. Now, I don't mind that CO2. I think the CO2 is good for the planet. It's good for the plants. But if your premise is that CO2 is pollution adding more CO2 into the atmosphere while taking down America's economy makes no sense at all. It does not make sense. And and it just begs the question, why bring down the U.S. economy and why China should get a pass on this? 
Well, I think Klaus Schwab just gave us a very important hint. Uh, he was actually speaking on communist Chinese propaganda television. This was shortly after he left uh, the G20 meeting in Bali. They had the B20 meeting there where he lectured world leaders about how they made a fundamental transformation of the world uh, and that the world will look differently. And he actually said on communist Chinese television that communist China represents a model for the world to follow. Amazing. Now, he's not the first prominent individual to say that. David Rockefeller said that very clearly. Uh, George Soros has actually said that very clearly numerous times in the past. So a lot of powerful people have said that. But to come out and say that, even as all of this is going on, I think really tells you a lot. Uh, they want the communist Chinese model on a global level. And, um, and that's the trajectory that we're headed toward right now. My, my. Folks, that uh, should be alarming in itself. But as I said, this is multiple-pronged. And uh, I'd like to bring up COVID, Alex. It's it's unbelievable all the stories that are, are still trying to find the origin of COVID-19. Uh, there have been whistleblowers indicating that, hey, this originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, we warned that this was going to happen. But yet we still hear stories of the wet market and bats. Uh, so, I mean... I mean, this whole issue here, too, really should cause the the alarm of not only our nation, but the world as to the origin of this virus that we have seen bring the deaths of millions. Yeah, it, it really should. And the fact that the media is still ignoring this story uh, tells you, I think, a lot as well. But the Senator Rand Paul, a Republican of Kentucky, just came out recently and publicly and said, uh, we know Anthony Fauci was providing American taxpayer funding to this research that was happening, this gain-of-function research that was taking place at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is, of course, uh, controlled by the Communist Party of China, the most murderous dictatorship to have ever existed in history. Um, and, and he actually said, you know, it's, it's very clear the evidence points to the fact that this was a genetically manipulated virus that was created in this laboratory, and that makes Anthony Fauci responsible for these millions of deaths. Uh, he said, you know, we've got him. He's not going to get away. Uh, I, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for that to come true. But um, it's good that there are senior lawmakers talking about this. Now, the idea that it just leaked out of the laboratory, which is what we're now being told we're allowed to believe, right? Before, you would get silenced on the Internet for even suggesting that it might have come from a laboratory. Now that the Congress has found and the intelligence agencies have found that that's at least a very real prospect, we're all supposed to buy into this fiction that it just uh, escaped from a laboratory, as if it had its own brain, its own mind, and just decided to break out one day. Of course, the far more likely hypothesis is that this was engineered and then released on the world to bring about precisely what we saw over the last two and a half years. Yeah. So, and, and with that, Alex, now we have seen the the uprisings in China. China's had this zero tolerance policy as it relates to COVID, and and they've been commended, you know, for their zero tolerance and and the few deaths compared to other worldwide nations. Uh, but uh, we've seen a clampdown on citizens that's been unprecedented. Let our audience know as to what extent this has gone on. Well, what's happening in China right now is very, very interesting. Um, obviously, people are upset. Uh, I mean, anybody who's familiar with the zero COVID policy that the Communist Chinese Party implemented uh, would understand the horror. I mean, they, literally people locked in their apartments for months at a time. Uh, I mean, in some cases, they welded the doors shut. And uh, the official narrative, at least, that's coming out now is that one of these apartments that was in total lockdown as a result of these zero COVID policies, it just so happened to be in Western China, where they're uh, in the process of interning and re-educating millions of Muslims, the, uh, the Uyghur population. Uh, and, and this building set on fire, and I believe 10 people uh, officially died as a result of that. And so that, that kind of provided the spark that has fueled this broader, it's being described in the media as an uprising, as democracy protests. Uh, now, there's several really interesting things to know about this. First of all, if the Communist Party of China really wanted them to stop, they would have never started in the first place. Uh, China is now such a controlled society that uh, basically nothing happens without the knowledge of Big Brother. No communication uh, over any sort of device. Uh, I mean, they they, uh, they quite literally do the pre-crime thing where if they think you might be inclined to uh, pose a threat, they will come after you. In fact, they have everybody's social credit scores now, so they already know whether you are a likely troublemaker or not. Uh, so that, I think, is the first thing that needs to be understood. It's obvious that people are upset with these policies. I mean, people can only take so much brutality and barbarism before they snap. But um, there's something else going on here, too. And, uh, you know, there was a really, really good article in The New American back in 1991. I'm rereading it right now. 
Uh, it's called Playing the China Card. It was written by Brian J. Ellison. I highly encourage people, if you get the chance to read it, it's quite long, but it's about uh, the communist strategy of um, basically dialectical tactics, where you create a, a, where you have a thesis, you have an antithesis, you have to control both sides of that, and then out of the conflict between those two comes the desired outcome. And so when you see the American media, when you see the CNNs, the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, all promoting these protests in China, while completely ignoring the massive millions of people in the streets in Brazil demanding honest elections and actually begging for military intervention to stop uh, the, the takeover by a convicted communist criminal who um, I believe won through vote fraud, uh, why would they ignore that and yet shine so much light on the protests in China? Now, there's, there's different things happening in China. Uh, some of the protesters are actually out there singing the international, right, the old communist song. So these are not anti-government protests per se. Um, uh, some of them are. Obviously, there are some people who are holding up these pieces of paper that uh, reference uh, Dr. Friedman because his name spells Friedman. And apparently there have even been some people who called for Xi to step down. But... Uh, Overwhelmingly, these are protests that um, supposedly are just upset about the current policies. And I actually spoke to somebody who's been in China for, for years up until now, and I asked him for his thoughts on what was happening. And he thought what might be happening is that they are uh, the, the global elite in the Western world, in Washington, D.C., in London, on Wall Street, um, may not be entirely comfortable with Xi Jinping because even though they're fine with the communist Chinese system, they're fine with all of that, uh, they don't necessarily trust Xi Jinping. But I think what's much more likely, uh, and you know, this is just my, my analysis, I, I don't have any smoking gun evidence to prove this, but I think what's much more likely is um, this is some sort of dialectical process being employed where we're going to see the scissor strategy, with the pressure from above and pressure from below. And I think it'll make much more sense after we're a little further on the process and we see what's going to result from this. They say they're scaling back some of the COVID restrictions. Uh, we'll see if that's true. But, uh, you know, I think everybody who reads the media needs to automatically start with the assumption that we're at the very least not getting the whole story and we may be getting an entirely manufactured narrative. Yeah. And, and folks, you got to stay alert for that very aspect. And uh, citizens have been rising up. We've seen, you know, pictures of the, the droves of protests. But some have compared this, Alex, to a, a Tiananmen Square uprising like back in 1989. Uh, your analysis on that, are we at that sev severity? I, I see American military news was reporting Chinese military convoys moving through the streets like a major protest crackdown would occur. Uh, any comparisons uh, that that you see here as it relates to Tiananmen Square? Well, you know, I think there's also more to the Tiananmen Square uh, than is, is publicly known as well. And this article from 1991 in the New American playing the China card gets into that in quite hmm. some depth. Um, uh, the author here explains that there has been a plan since the 1970s to have China go through a kind of a fake democratization. And uh, a lot of the leaders of the protest movement in uh, 1989 were actually members of the Communist Party. Now, we all know what happened. For, for whatever reason, the communist regime ended up slaughtering thousands of these people. Uh, then after the massacre, tens of thousands were rounded up and many of them were executed as well. But, um, yeah, we'll pick up on the other side, I guess. Okay, Alex Newman with us here today. Uh, we're talking about communist China's growing threat. And, uh, folks, we've got so much more to, to uh, bring you here on Crosstalk. We trust you'll stay tuned. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, how long does it take to make oil? Chris, oil is the altered remains of organic molecules. These are primarily hydrogen and carbon, and after death they can metamorphose into hydrocarbon oil. It doesn't take long. In fact, there are a number of ways to rapidly convert organic material into oil, but all of them are rather expensive and inefficient. However, if water is injected into the organic material, then the process is much more efficient than quick. This reminds me of the great flood of Noah's day when excessive heat and pressures combined with lots of waters to act on the abundant living things which were destroyed by the flood. Chris, it all fits. 
Even the difficult questions like the origin of oil can best be answered from a Back to Genesis perspective. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. Communist China's growing threat, our topic today here on Crosstalk. Alex Newman with us. Uh, he is senior editor for The New American website, thenewamerican.com, thenewamerican.com. Also founder of Liberty Sentinel, and uh, you'll find much there as well, libertysentinel.org. Uh, Alex, as we're looking at different uh, aspects of uh, Communist China's growing influence and and uh, their impact upon this world, whether and we've mentioned already the the climate change issue. We're talking about COVID and its origination. We're talking about this zero tolerance policy and the uprisings that are taking place. Uh, you're telling us a, a, about a scenario of uh, really a of kind of like a fake democracy scenario here. Uh, could that possibly be unfolding? Uh, I think that's a very real possibility. And I think we'll probably be getting more information on this in the weeks ahead. But as I look back and study what happened with the Tiananmen Square massacre, as I look back and see what happened with the collapse or alleged collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, one of the really clear parallels that I see is what happened in Poland. Uh, And this is still, even though the official record is now out and anybody can verify what I'm saying, this is still not very widely known, which I think is very deliberate. But uh, what happened in Poland uh, was actually predicted by a man who I consider to be one of the most important defectors to have ever come out of the Soviet Union. Uh, his name was Anatoly Golichin. I've actually got his books. I'm looking at them right now. They're in my library. He wrote uh, New Lies for Old and the Perestroika Deception. And um, when he defected, he, he had been in KGB's Department D, which was their disinformation department, and they were coming up with long-range disinformation strategies to deceive not only their own populations, but also the outside world, and in particular the Western world and the United States. What he said was they had come up with a long-range plan. Uh, he outlined a whole bunch of these. He talked about the, the fraudulent Sino-Soviet split, that the communists in, in the Soviet Union would pretend to be at odds with the communists in China, and that they would use that to get the U.S. government to then start support, uh, start supporting communist China and sending the money and technology under the guise of containing the Soviet Union, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and, and I don't believe for a moment that our diplomats in Washington, D.C. are stupid enough to have fallen for that. So I think we need an alternate explanation. But uh, he explained that there was a a long-range disinformation plan uh, that involved phony democratization, where uh, the Soviet Union would ostensibly fall apart, where the slave nations of Eastern Europe would ostensibly become democracies. Uh, And he gave a lot of names. He specifically identified individuals and movements that people needed to watch. And one of the people that he fingered was Lech Valenza, who's very well known today in the Western world as the leader of the Solidarity Movement, uh, the big... Uh, Confederation of Labor Unions, and um, he actually argued that this guy was on the payroll and that there was going to be a big disinformation operation where there would be a fake revolution in Poland, and yet the communists would remain in charge. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. And uh, now that some of the Soviet archives have been made public, we can confirm that uh, what Mr. Golichin said was 100% accurate. Lech Valesa was on the KGB's payroll. His code name was Bolek. And so what you had is People in Poland, and and I think this is probably what's happening in China, and I think it's happened multiple times in China before, is the people in charge basically give the population two options. Either you side with the solidarity movement and you rise up against the communist system, or you side with the communist system. Well, no matter which side of that you fall into, you're in the trap. (laughs) You you are part of the game. And um, in Poland, obviously, it worked very well. In fact, uh, after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, this man, Anatoly Golichin, had issued about 205 specific predictions about things that would happen. Uh, well over 200 of those have now come true, including uh-huh. what happened in Poland. He predicted the fall of the Berlin Wall, the reunification of Germany, a fraudulent collapse of the Soviet Union that would leave all of the communist leadership in charge. Uh, he predicted the rise of a Soviet leader very much along the lines of Mikhail Gorbachev, who would be friendly with the Western world, but who would still be a hardcore, dedicated communist. And um, I, I have to speculate, and again, I, you know, I'm, I'm clear that uh, I don't have any smoking gun evidence, but I, I just have to speculate based on my knowledge of communist strategy, based on what we have seen throughout history, that uh, we're seeing something very similar happening in China right now, 
with uh, an end goal that, as of right now, I don't think is clear yet to the outside world, but should be much more clear in the weeks and months ahead as we see what happens as a result of this. Yeah, and um, virtually the official statement from the U.S. is, we support the right for people to peacefully protest. I mean, some have viewed that as being a rather anemic response to what's going on. Yeah, and you know, it'd be very interesting if uh, the Biden administration would come out and say, we support the right of Brazilians to peacefully protest. Um, you know, right now, many of them are being locked up. They're being threatened with arrest. They're having their social media accounts locked down. They're having their bank accounts frozen. Uh, in some cases, there are now reports out that they're even having their children targeted by the social welfare authorities for speaking out against what they regard and I regard as massive levels of election fraud. And so if the Biden administration is so enthusiastic about peaceful protests, why are we not hearing any statements applauding or supporting the protesters in Brazil? Why is the media almost completely silent on what's happening in Brazil? So, again, I have to assume here that we are being deceived. Um, you know, the, the idea that Joe Biden uh, just really wants freedom in China uh, strikes me as ludicrous. Uh, in fact, I don't think Joe Biden is really making much policy at all. He's reading his teleprompter as best as he can. But, um, yeah, I think we need to be very, very suspicious about uh, what the Biden administration is doing and also what the uh, long-term documented track record of the media in the United States is just that they are constantly putting out false information, manipulated information. I mean, the New York Times told us that Fidel Castro was an anti-communist freedom fighter. Uh, the New York Times regurgitated Stalin's propaganda about the, the genocide he was conducting in the Ukraine, so they covered up that genocide as it was happening. So the media's got a long track record. They cannot be trusted. And I think this is another example of that. So before we continue on with China, Alex, why why do you believe the story is being ignored in Brazil? Why why is it the, the, the blackout and, 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 the, and the U.S. not making statements pertaining to it? Well, I, I think what's happening in Brazil is actually one of the most important stories in the world. I say that as somebody who spent many years living in Brazil, as somebody who uh, remains in touch with uh, many, many Brazilians, including Brazilians who serve in government, Brazilians who serve uh, in uh, in major businesses and, uh, and other prominent positions. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize Brazil is actually um, almost the headquarters of the communist movement in Latin America. Uh, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, the convicted criminal, who uh, supposedly won this election. Um, he is actually a very important figure for the communist movement globally. Um, back um, about 30 years ago, he got together with uh, Fidel Castro, the, the mass murdering dictator of Cuba at the time. Uh, he got together with the FARC. The, uh, in, in Spanish, it's the Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia. It's basically a, a Marxist terrorist group that traffics in cocaine to fund um, what has been, you know, for 50 years, a brutal guerrilla war, massacred huge numbers of civilians, endless kidnappings, etc. Uh, just an absolutely horrific terror organization. And also the, uh, the Sandanistas in Nicaragua, the, the communist movement there. And so they got together, they formed a, a network called, in Portuguese, the Foro de Sao Paulo. In English, we would call it the Sao Paulo Forum. And um, the objective of this network, I actually have the documents. In 1997, they hosted their, uh, their annual meeting. And as members, they have political parties, uh, basically the communist political parties, the social political parties of the region. Um, about two-thirds of the governments of Latin America right now are in the control of political parties that are members of this movement. And so in 1997, they got together and they put on paper that their objective was to restore in Latin America what had been ostensibly lost in Eastern Europe, namely communist dictatorship. So, um, so that's where Lula comes from. He's got uh, very powerful allies in the United States, uh, the Biden administration among them. In fact, uh, we found out from some um, interestingly timed news reports that Biden had actually dispatched the head of the CIA, um, numerous senior defense officials and others to go tell Jair Bolsonaro, the anti-communist president of Brazil, that uh, it would not be tolerated if he decided to contest the election results. So I, I think what's happening here is the communists are, are trying to seal the deal right now in Latin America. They've got strong support from George Soros. Uh, Barack Obama actually called Lula the most popular politician in the world. Uh, quite a stretch. He's very unpopular among um, at least half of the Brazilian population, I think much more. But um, what's happening there is hugely significant. And if they manage to take back Brazil, uh, Jair Bolsonaro uh, was kind of an outsider, um, very uh, counter-revolutionary, right? A, a, incredibly hostile to communism, to uh, the effort to dismantle Christian civilization. He, um, you know, he was always uh, very, very tough on these things. I never expected him to become 
president, even though I had been watching his career for many years before he was elected. And I actually spent some time with his son earlier this year, who's a congressman, uh, Congressman uh, Eduardo Bolsonaro, and he told me that they had solid intelligence that the communist movement was planning this massive electoral fraud, that they were going to try to jail critics, mm. that they were mm. going to arrest the media, freeze the bank accounts. So I think the reason we're not hearing about this from the media in America, Jim, is because it's so important. And um, they've got to do this silently if they hope to succeed. It's amazing, folks. And and uh, though you would see, uh, think it be disjointed, uh, Alex, very much uh, connected to our topic today of communist China, a very definite tie there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, the BRICS alliance, and, and people don't realize the term BRICS was actually uh, invented by the uh, chief economist for Goldman Sachs. Right? This is not some kind of organic unity among third world governments, right? This is uh, much more sinister than that. But um, the BRICS were pretty much all in unison until Jair Bolsonaro came along. And, uh, you know, he's been a huge thorn in the side, not just of the Latin American communists, but of the entire globalist movement. Uh, he's been uh, very, very adamant that these uh, COVID injections are dangerous, that we were lying, that we were being lied to about COVID. He refused to go along with the World Health Organization's policies. Um, he's pushed back on the climate hoax. Uh, he has been a major thorn in the side of the internationalist movement, the communist movement, and uh, he's done extraordinary things for Brazil to the point where now I think they've already tried to kill him once. You know, they claimed it was a lone nut, which is what they always do, but uh, they are absolutely determined to see him removed because he's a major obstacle in the path of moving the entire world in the direction of this one-world China system. And so when you see the media in America promoting the protests in China, which are very small in comparison to what's happening in Brazil, and completely ignoring the protests in Brazil, you should at the very least be asking yourself some really serious questions. Alex Newman with us here today. Uh, you'll find many of his writings, uh, thenewamerican.com, thenewamerican.com. Uh, Alex, yet on this COVID issue, I saw a story just released from Newsmax uh, indicating that hackers with links to the Chinese government stole at least $20 million in COVID, uh, American COVID-19 relief benefits. That's according to a Secret Service unit that uh, handles the pandemic relief fraud. But uh, the hacking group is identified as APT-41, looks like a Department 41, based in Chengdu, also known uh, by the name of Wicked Panda. I'm sure this is just a, a tip of the iceberg as far as it relates to COVID fraud. Oh, absolutely. And what, what's so interesting about that, too, um, you know, the, the world expert on this is Joshua Phillip, a friend of mine uh, at the Epic Times who really studies communist Chinese criminal movement. And uh, what he has shown is that so many of these supposed criminal gangs are really just extensions of the Communist Party's machinery. So it looks like they're just rogue criminals. And, you know, we've got them floating around in the United States, the triads, et cetera. But they are deeply connected to the communist government in China. And, of course, if the communist government didn't want them doing these types of scams, they wouldn't be doing it. I'd like to cover yet another aspect of China's increasing threat, Alex, and that is uh, a report that just came out from the Pentagon last week regarding China's nuclear arsenal, expected to more than triple to 1,500 warheads by 2035. Uh, that's no small news item. No, it's not. And, and I think people need to um, understand clearly what's happening here. Uh, what we are seeing is preparations for war by the most murderous dictatorship in the entire history of humanity. And uh, those preparations for war are not aimed at taking over a small island with 30 million people on it, right? That may be the immediate objective, but ultimately, America is the target. And uh, yeah, there's a really interesting uh, document I'm going to just have you pause there because we're right up against a break. Uh, That's a remarkable statement, though. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about uh, solely Taiwan, but there's... uh, what do they say? Bigger fish to fry? Folks, we'll be back in just one minute. Alex Newman is with us today about communist China's growing threat. Uh, the U.S. is not uh, viewed as being a, a friendly neighbor to let's just all get along. No world domination is on the heart of China. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Often the sounds of traditional Christmas carols are missing this time of year. The secularization in our society does not want to recognize those carols which point to the Christ of Christmas. VCY America is making available Sounds of Christmas, Volumes 3, 5, and 6. The various selection of Sounds of Christmas features the music of the season as played by Vic Eliason on the digital piano, Hammond organ, and Allen organ. 
Songs like Go Tell It on the Mountain, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and Joy to the World. These instrumental CDs are perfect for playing in your home, office, or car throughout the season. Each volume of Sounds of Christmas is available for a donation of $6 each or all three for a donation of $15 to VCY America. Call 1-800-729-9829 and have a Merry Christmas. program you're listening to is Crosstalk. It comes your way each weekday at the same time on the VCY American Network. With us today is Alex Newman. Uh, you'll find uh, he's an award-winning international freelance journalist. Uh, so many of his writings and others like him at thenewamerican.com, thenewamerican.com. And uh, friends, uh, just exposing what's taking place in this world today and not just accepting carte blanche, what you're told uh, by the nightly news. Uh, Alex, you mentioned just heading into that last break here that it's not uh, just an island that is in China's crosshairs. Really, it's the United States and that they are really in an all-out preparation for war. So go ahead and take it away. Uh, well, thank you, Jim. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of the most critical things for people to understand right now who are interested in geopolitics. And uh, it's finally starting to dawn on more and more um, conservative people in Washington, D.C., at least, that this is what we're facing. But Communist China is not just preparing for war against the United States. They are already waging war against the United States. And some of this strategy has been put on paper. Um, Colonel, uh, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce his name, but Xiao Liang and Colonel Wang Changsui. I have actually written a document, I'm holding it in my hand right now, on unrestricted warfare, and it's about China's strategy. Um, you know, if you look into their strategic thinking, a lot of this even goes back to the, the great military strategist Sun Tzu, right? You have to be very deceptive when you're waging war. You, when you're weak, you have to pretend to be strong. When you're strong, you have to pretend to be weak. And so this, this doctrine of unrestricted warfare, the communist Chinese recognized that if they were to enter into a conventional war with the United States right now involving actual shooting, actual missiles flying, nuclear weapons, etc., um, there's a good chance that they would come out on the losing end. Uh, at this point, I, I can't even say that with a whole lot of confidence anymore based on my discussions with people who, um, who study these types of things. But there's a very good possibility that they would not win, at least not right this moment. And so what they've been doing is this concept of unrestricted warfare, where they will wage war in every possible way up to, but not including, shooting and missiles and, uh, and actual combat. So I think that's the stage that we're in right now. Uh, they are engaged in subversion. They are engaged in massive levels of espionage. Uh, they are stealing all of our secrets. Uh, military, corporate, governmental, diplomatic, all of it is being vacuumed up uh, by Communist China's intelligence apparatus. Uh, they are helping to fuel unrest in the streets of America. They are working uh, against us in every international institution that you can think of. Uh, they are building a global coalition of allies to stand against the United States. But honestly, the thing that most concerns me about all of this, Jim, is the fifth column that we have in the United States that uh, has shown a very, very brazen willingness to side with the Chinese against their own country. Uh, and this includes, unfortunately, people at the highest levels of power. Uh, we know that Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, went into business with one of the top intelligence officials in communist China. Now, it's not because the Chinese think that Hunter Biden is some sort of wonderful businessman. I mean, you know, poor guy, he's addicted to crack, or he was. And, you know, it's obviously not, uh, it's not for his business savvy that they are interested in him. Uh, and we know that the big guy, uh, Joe Biden himself, was getting 10% from uh, from these deals. So at the highest levels of power, if you look mm -hmm. at the communications companies operating out of D.C., the law firms operating out of D.C., uh, they are all terrified or on the payroll of the Chinese. So uh, we're, we're dealing with, um, you know, potential adversary. I would say not potential, but an actual adversary that is incredibly powerful and that has uh, very strong support from some of the most powerful people in this country. You know, th this is what's just so maddening is that, I mean, 
I, I saw one report where Washington has publicly named Beijing as the most significant challenge to the United States. And yet, Alex, it seems we're, we're more concerned about critical race theory training and gender inclusive training for our troops, four shot mandates. And we are preparing for the increasing of our strength and standing up against communist China. Uh, and and, I, you know, let me throw in North Korea into this here, too, because they certainly are not headed toward passivity at all. And it, it, it's like we are imploding from within. Yeah, we are. And and I think this is all by design. This is very deliberate. And if you go back and look at the history, and we've talked about this briefly on, on a previous episode, Jim, but if you go back into the history, what you'll find is that the very same organizations and institutions that like to think of themselves as running the United States today, Council on Foreign Relations, for example, uh, uh, Bilderberg, uh, you know, all these networks of very prominent individuals that kind of surround the Rockefeller dynasty and other very prominent American families, um, they have been not just in support of, but helping the communists in China from the very beginning. Uh, in fact, they, they deliberately betrayed our ally, Chiang Kai-shek, who fought alongside Americans in World War II against the Japanese. Uh, he was a professed Christian. He believed in individual freedom. In fact, he saw America as a model for his country. And yet policymakers in our country, people like George Marshall, uh, who served as a Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, also was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, deliberately betrayed him. They put an arms embargo on his government to force him to capitulate to the communist Chinese uh, who were being backed by the Soviet Union and so on. And so uh, very powerful Americans helped the communists take over in China. In fact, in the American media, they were described as uh, they're just agrarian reformers. Right? Uh, that is how they were marketed to Americans through careful propaganda placed in the American media. So they helped them take power. They helped build them up. Uh, and, and a lot of this they did openly, Jim. Right? Uh, David Rockefeller, in uh, 1973, he had just come back from China, and he published an op-ed in the New York Times, and it's still available in their archives today. It was called From a China Traveler. And uh, after returning from China, he, uh, he had just incredibly wonderful things to say about China. Uh, he said the social experiment, and this is almost a direct quote, the social experiment in China under Chairman Mao's leadership is one of the most important and successful in human history. Now, about 50 million people had been slaughtered by the government there up to that point. Uh, how a person could say that is, is just beyond me. Then in 2010, you had George Soros say that communist China should own the new world order. Mm. He said it publicly. Uh, he said that they have a better functioning government than the United States. Right. So uh, you know, these people have been helping to build up communist China at every step of the way. And I think that's how we ended up in this predicament. There's uh, one more tentacle of this I'd like to get covered here today as well, Alex, and, and that is the area of big tech. And I saw one headline of uh, China abusing Apple. Uh, we saw also a, a Tucker Carlson reporter here recently, uh, Apple now an active collaborator with China's murderous police state as they uh, prevent dissemination of news pertaining to the protests going on. How do you see big tech uh, assisting China or China taking control of big tech uh, that would increase their threat against people like the United States of America and, and the freedoms that we love? Well, I think there are several things going on here. I think uh, one of the most obvious things that should jump out at everybody is that the people running these big tech companies think very much like the communist Chinese do, that uh, we do not have a right to express ourselves freely. We do not have a right to freely access whatever information we want to access and make our own determinations about whether that information is true or important, et cetera. Uh, they want to make those decisions for us. Uh, so this is uh, an incredibly elitist, incredibly uh, anti-American way of looking at things. But uh, just last week, I interviewed uh, a gentleman by the name of Zach Voorhees. He was a senior engineer at Google and at YouTube. And uh, one of the things he told me is that Google and YouTube and all of big tech are absolutely filled with spies from communist China serving this mass murdering communist Chinese party. So uh, I think we need to take all that into account as we're thinking about this. Uh, I do think that big tech uh, in partnership with China and in partnership with the institutions that I mentioned earlier, like the Council on Foreign Relations and increasingly even the Biden administration, uh, they are working to change the narrative, suppress uh, free speech, suppress information that runs contrary to their narrative. Uh, and I think it's an existential threat to our country. Uh, as uh, Mr. Voorhees told me um, in public, and this was an on-the-record interview, people can go watch the whole thing, he said we need an urgent national security investigation of this crisis immediately. It is an existential threat to our nation. And I agree with him. He's exactly right. 
Alex Newman, our guest today. Our phone number to Crosstalk, 800-733-9829. That's 1-800-733-9829. Your questions or brief comments today. Alex, uh, another big thing that many people are scratching their heads on is election interference. Uh, is there connections between our uh, China and election interference? I, I think self-evidently there is. Um, and, uh, in fact, one of the things that just came out of Twitter right now is that Twitter was uh, openly interfering in the election. Uh, I mean, some of the emails that came out are in this uh, Twitter files that uh, Matt uh, Taibbi has been releasing show uh, senior Twitter executives working in partnership with the Biden campaign to squelch uh, information that they didn't want. And so when you combine that with the knowledge that there are communist Chinese spies all up and down the ranks of these big tech companies, uh, when you combine that with the knowledge that the leadership of communist China is working very closely with the leadership of the Western world, people like Klaus Schwab, uh, his young global leaders, people like Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, former German Chancellor Angela Merkel, um, prime ministers and presidents all over the world. In fact, even Elon Musk was reportedly one of his young global leaders. You start to realize that um, what we're dealing with here is a, a very, very serious crisis, and um, it, it really should make everybody wonder about uh, the credibility of our elections, the integrity of our elections. I think what we're seeing in Arizona right now is just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, when you combine that with what we know about what communist China is doing with unrestricted warfare, etc., um, this uh, really should be seen as an incredibly significant national security crisis, an existential threat to our country, uh, and it really should be a top priority for policymakers in Washington, D.C., but unfortunately it seems to not even be on their radar for the most part. C.J. is calling from Florida. Hi, C.J., you're on the air. Hi. My question is, can our government be accused of treason for all what's going on, our president? Thank you. Does it rise to the level of treason? Uh, it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, treason traditionally has been defined as helping an enemy uh, wage war on your own country. And um, I think there's a very good case that could be made, uh, not just for the Biden administration, but even going back to the Obama administration, that that is the appropriate word to uh, describe what we're dealing with here. Uh, during the Obama administration, you even had top-level government officials coming out and telling us publicly that the Obama administration had decided to partner with Islamic jihadists like al-Qaeda, like ISIS. I mean, we, we had the head of military intelligence at the time, General Michael Flynn, did an international TV broadcast, and he said, look, I told the Obama administration that it was a bad idea and probably illegal to partner with Islamic jihadists who are on our terror list that we've been fighting against for, for you know, over a decade as part of this war on terror, and yet they were doing it anyway, right? and they were doing it deliberately. Now we have this situation where uh, the Biden administration really couldn't help communist China more if it tried, and um, you know they, they could try to claim ignorance. Well, we didn't realize that the communist Chinese were preparing for war against us or were actually waging unrestricted warfare against us, but um, you know, considering the budget of the intelligence agencies, I don't think that's a credible argument. So I think it's a, a discussion that we really ought to be having as a nation. Mark is next in Monroe, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Okay, uh, my question is this. Um, recently, uh, American uh, media has been suggesting that uh, there would be a, um, um, a Chinese communist collapse, uh, particularly uh, uh, in regard to the recent uh, COVID uh, um 19 protest. My question is, do you think this is a deliberate attempt from uh, um, China to make the uh, U.S. in particular vulnerable to uh, a misinformation tactic that would make us vulnerable in, re- in regard to this? In other words, they have a much bigger uh, agenda and are just uh, prompting us to be vulnerable. Thank you, Mark. You're up. Go ahead, Alex. We've got about uh, 20 seconds here. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very important possibility that ought to be considered. Again, we're dealing with massive levels of disinformation um, at multiple levels coming at us from multiple angles. And so I, I don't think we should be trusting what the media says. And uh, before we go to break, I wanted to just mention to Chinagate, the Bill Clinton scandal, where they were caught taking communist Chinese money in exchange for our military secrets. That was treason. Thank you for the call, Mark. We'll be back with more of your calls right after the break. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America.
For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Have you noticed all of the events that are converging at the same time right now? What is the statistical probability that all of these things would be happening right now at the same time? I believe it's a convergence of end-time events. The making of a one-world economy, the mark of the beast technology, the desire for world government, a world religion, the Jews returning to Israel in record numbers, the talk of a third temple, five red heifers now in Israel looking for a perfect red heifer to sacrifice and begin the purification process, Israel discovering massive amounts of natural gas and maybe gold, Israel surrounded by her enemies. Right there in Syria, you have Iran, Turkey, and Russia on her border. Then you have the Jews that are being prepared to be deceived, looking for a Messiah. We have the rise of anti-Semitism, the talk of global famine and plagues. All of this tells us the stage is being set for end-time events. Are you ready? You're tuned to Crosstalk on VCY America. Alex Newman with us today. We're discussing communist China's growing threat. Alex is a senior editor for The New American. Alex, just before we take our next call, just give us a word about The New American, if you would. Yeah, well, thank you, Jim. So The the New American is, uh, in my opinion, the, uh, the single best magazine on the planet. It comes out twice a month. I highly encourage people to subscribe to the print version if they haven't yet. And uh, I think there, there's an article that was published in 1991 that is uh, very, very relevant. It's called Playing the China Card that I encourage people to read. But, you know, I'm fairly young. Uh, In fact, the magazine was created as a result of a merger between two other magazines in the same year I was born. That was in in 1985. But I go back and I read the things that were being written by the New American in the 1980s and the 1990s, and I'm just astounded. And if I didn't know better, I'd wonder whether these guys had some sort of crystal ball or something Mm -hmm. because they, they somehow knew what was going to happen, where all this was headed, um, even before uh, before anybody else was talking about it. So it's a, it's a great publication. It's the official publication of the John Birch Society, which actually started the campaign during the Clinton administration to have him impeached for Chinagate, and actually succeeded. Uh, Bill Clinton was the first elected president to ever be impeached, and uh, multiple major media outlets credited the John Birch Society with that, but they ended up sweeping that scandal under the rug and getting everybody talking about the perjury and the sex acts, which, of course, are serious, but not quite as serious as treason, perhaps. But uh, anyway, this is a very good magazine. It's been an honor to, to write for them since, uh, since my college days. It was such a, such a joy to find out that there was a publication where truth could be published freely. And uh, people can find us at thenewamerican.com. Jeff is next in Wisconsin. Jeff, you're on the air. Hi, uh, great topic. Um, look, I... I wish I could get people to understand that we've been fighting the same enemy since Andrew Jackson, okay? We've got the European banking houses, and the ultra-wealthy in this country have always teamed up, okay? We we bankrolled the Bolsheviks and the overthrow of the Tsar, okay? We uh, our, our rich elites, they bankrolled both sides of the First World War and the Second World War. Um, we are government was infiltrated with communists during FDR. Um, it just goes on and on. And is there any way to really fight against it? Their, their dialectic, is, we, we seem to be, uh, we're not immune to it. We just don't seem to be able to fight their dialectic. Alex? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I think in the physical, it's very difficult to battle against this. Um, we're dealing with, uh, you know, ultimately it goes way beyond just European banking houses and, and corrupt uh, so-called elites, or at least self-proclaimed elites. So what we're dealing with here, I think, very clearly is satanic. It's diabolical. And um, I think when you consider it from the spiritual perspective, you know, and the Bible talks quite a bit about the spiritual war that we find ourselves in today. Ephesians 6, uh, chapter 6 is probably the clearest um, uh, chapter dealing just with this idea of a spiritual war that we find ourselves in. And what it says is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but rather against powers and principalities and uh, spiritual wickedness and darkness in high places. Um, and, you know, the Bible also says that our weapons are not carnal, uh, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And so, you know, I think there is an important role uh, for politics. There is an important role for national security and all these things. But ultimately, this is a a spiritual crisis in the truest sense of the term. Uh, If Americans were still uh, in love with God, if Americans were still relying on the Bible as their source of truth and uh, and authority, 
um, the country wouldn't be in the mess that it finds mm. itself in. So, you know, one of the things that I tell people in terms of what do we do about this, well, you know, do what God told you to do, right? Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. Um, you know, and that's important. Yeah. As a yeah. population comes and clings to the Lord, uh, very good things happen. Good things happen to the whole nation. And so I think we really need to keep that in mind. Yes, we should be involved in the political realm. We should be involved in exposing these lies. We should be using the truth as our weapon. But, uh, you know, this is a spiritual battle. Thank you, Jeff. Great question. Todd is next. Sheboygan, Wisconsin, you're on the air. Yeah, Alex, I was just wondering if you've read the book by Gordon Chang, The Coming Collapse of China, and if so, uh, what do you think about that? I'm sure you know him, and uh, if you've read it, uh, according to him, China, very soon China is going to be collapsing. Well, what do you know about that? Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for the call. Uh, I have enormous respect for uh, Gordon Chang. I think he's an extremely astute analyst, and he's got uh, wonderful sources and connections. Um, I, I don't happen to agree with him on this, though. Um, yes, there are massive economic problems in China. Yes, China is a cooking, you know, cooking bomb. Uh, it's, you know, what they're sitting on top of is just massive levels of pent-up anger and rage, especially after two and a half years of unprecedented barbarism in response to COVID. But, um, you know, they are very cunning. They're, they're very uh, intelligent in terms of how they manage that. And so I think, uh, you know, without rehashing it all, I would encourage people to read this 1991 article, Playing the China Card. It may look like a collapse of the Communist Party of China, but I think what will be very likely after that is it will be the same people in charge, maybe behind the scenes, maybe not, um, very much along the lines of what we saw after the Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah, they collapsed, supposedly. Yeah, their economy was in shambles. But guess what? The new rulers were the same as the old rulers. They just rebranded themselves instead of, you know, Communist Party commissar. They were oligarch in charge of, uh, you know, oil or whatever. So um, I think we... we, um, we need to examine communist strategy to get some insight on this, and uh, communist strategy would lead me to believe that um, we may see a controlled collapse, but it will not result in very profound changes, at least not in terms of who's running things. Thank you, Todd. Uh, Jim is next. You're on the air, Jim. First of all, Alex, thank you for uh, bringing balance to this, all these topics about ultimately our battle is spiritual, and uh, thank you so much for that. But uh, I just uh, I think about uh, our wide open southern border and the, the millions of people flooding in here, uh, thousands of fighting age young men coming across that border. I, I, I believe that there's uh, uh, an invasion of a standing army in this country now, and I'm just wondering if this uh, a tactic of the Chinese to to use these groups that have come in, uh, whether they be Islamists or other groups uh, as cannon fodder. Jim, just for the sake of time, because we're down to just less than 30 seconds, uh, Alex, go ahead and respond to our southern border issue. Yeah, thank you very much. I think what is happening is exactly what you said. Um, uh, professed enemies of the United States are pouring across the southern border. We know that the regime in Venezuela has been sending militants, militias, emptying out jails. Uh, many other governments have as well. There are Chinese cells all over this country, active and, and ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, so, yeah, America's in, in a battle for her survival. The open southern border is a big part of it, but uh, we need to pray and be in God's word because um, we may be hitting some real serious turbulence. Soon. And, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow we have uh, representatives from the Center for Immigration Studies talking about the southern border. Alex, as always, thank you for your insight and analysis and uh, for exposing uh, these many evil works of darkness. Thank you so much, Jim. God bless you. And friends, thanks for joining us here today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Take Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.